Today on episode 52 of BRC and Friends, co-host Laura Monaco-Heifetz joins me in welcoming John Edgerton, the lead pastor at First United Church of Oak Park in Chicago. For a brief time, just before Easter, religion Twitter was focused on John and the church he serves because their Lenten theme this year was fasting from whiteness. And boy, did the right-wing internet trolls get fed. I invited John onto the show because somehow my name got pulled into the fray. John is our first white voice to be on BRC and Friends since the reboot, and I'm glad to offer this space to one who is doing the work that predominantly white communities should be doing and taking the heat for it. We also talk about motorcycles, badass seminary students, and music that I am not cool enough to know about. Thanks for being here. Now sit back and enjoy episode 52 with John Edgerton. My name is Bruce Reyes Chow, and this is BRC and Friends. Each episode, my co-hosts and I chat with activists, artists, academics, and adventurers to discuss politics, faith, pop culture, technology, and as you will discover, pretty much everything that pops into our heads. This is basically an excuse for us to hang out with friends and colleagues and riff about things that matter. Welcome to BRC and Friends. Well, welcome, you all. I'm so excited to be on this episode. I think we're on episode 52, which is kind of amazing. Oh, look it. It's about as, it's one year younger than me, 52. This is where we're starting. My birthday is next week. Actually, when this posts, it'll be a week from that. Exactly. Uh, today, I'm so excited. We're having uh, John Edgerton. I'm excited to have John on for weird reasons, and you'll, which you'll find out later. And then Laura Monaco-Heifetz is on our, as one of our co-hosts today. So I'm grateful for folks to be here. And we're going to start off, as we always do, with a little self-introduction. So you can introduce yourself, uh, share your pronouns, and kind of where you are. I'll go... Uh, and then I'll invite Laura and then John, you can fill in. You can give us a little more intro, uh, which would be helpful. And then I have a, I'll have a question for you as we go. So I'm Bruce Reyes Chow. I use he, him pronouns. I am currently a pastor at First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto for another seven days. So by the time this posts, I'll just have a few more days. Unfortunately, I have to leave uh, that pastorate because of long COVID. Terrible. Don't get it. And so going to take a break for my health, but we'll still podcast through that. Uh, but so I'm, I'm glad to be with you all. So Laura, who are you? Laura Mariko Heifetz. I use pronouns she, her, and hers. Right now I live in Nashville, Tennessee, although I am not from here and never shall be. You know about the South, right? Like if you didn't go to elementary school here, then it's over oh, for you. So not, it's not your choice. It is <laughs> It is whether they that, that area allows you to be from there. I got you. Right, 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 right. And John. Yeah, I'm John Edgerton. I'm the lead pastor of First United Church of Oak Park in Oak Park, Illinois, which is immediately to the west of the city of Chicago, one block to the east of my house is Austin Boulevard, which is the boundary line and a, a barrier and a border in a lot of ways between Oak Park and Chicago. I grew up on the south side uh, in the neighborhood of Hyde Park in Chicago. I'm, I've been uh, pastoring for about 13 years now in Minneapolis and then in Boston and now back here closer to home in Chicago. So I've, I've not I actually don't know about the South, Laura. I've never really spent much time there. So other than to do some road trips and things through that, I've lived in a number of wonderful places in this country, always in the North. Yeah, Laura is adventure. Laura, you've lived in a lot of places. So many places. And luckily, I have so many opinions about <laughs> everything. So it works out. You are mutually judgmental about every geographic location that you have lived in. Yeah, I've never lived more than 90 Completely. miles from my mother. So, you know, I talk a big game about God. God moves us into various places, but as long as it's 90 miles within my mother's residence, that's apparently as far as God would like me to go. So who's to say that the Holy Spirit doesn't move through your mother's real estate choices? 
This is true. Some would, yeah, she that believes she probably thing. is the Holy Spirit. So, you know, uh, there you go. I mean, she might not be wrong. <laughs> I just have to say I am very self-differentiated, my poor parents. <laughs> I know, like, do you, do you know we're over here still, Laura? <laughs> yes. I, I do love them. They're very cool. They are cool. So, John, I actually know her parents. They are wonderfully cool. They're super cool. Super chill. Like, your parents are, like, chill. Yeah. Well, I make up for it. But also, you didn't live with them, so it's you don't know. That's true. This is true. (laughs) That is true. And I don't want – I do not want that image broken for me. So Okay. Okay. I won't tell anything about it. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So, let's uh, let's jump in with just one question, kind of just as we begin our time. And I asked this question of of my session, our board – uh, as I was my sent, uh, monitoring my last meeting, and there's lots of anxiety about what's going to happen next. So my question to them was, name something that you have no control over, but it still brings you joy. And I, I thought of that, and I was like, that's a good question. So I will share first, and then I uh, would invite. So one of the things is, and um, not to just talk about my my youngest child, is going to work in the desert this summer, dropping water and food and dodging militia and homeland security. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm super excited. We're very, you know, I think folks are not surprised that one of my kids is doing this, but oh my goodness. Like, I, I'm like, yes, super proud. Also like a little worried, like it, but it, it does bring a joy. Like my baby, it's our youngest. Yeah. It's going to be out doing dangerous shit. Being brown, being brown out there. Being, being Well, that was the other question. It was like, so as soon as she gets out there, she browns up pretty quick and is going to be like, do they make sure? But they're very clear. After you sign the document that says, we cannot guarantee your safety, um, they do then tell them how they guarantee as much as possible that they will be safe. So, but anyway, uh, no control, zero control. She's also getting a motorcycle license at the end of the month. So it's, it is a, it is a, yeah, treasure chest of joy. That's amazing. What kind of what kind of bike is she going to get? Well, she's getting my scooter. <laughs> she's getting my scooter because I am a motorcycle. Like, they, she comes by this honestly. It's not as if oh, maybe I'll ride a motorcycle. I've never seen that in my household or one of my parents do it before. So uh, yeah, so she's going to do that. So I had to try a Bonneville for a long time. I have um, an electric motorcycle is on order and should be here in the next couple of months. So that's very exciting. Is it a, is it a zero, a lifeliner? What do you got? Say Wait, that again. What's the electric that you're getting? So we'll, a, a let's come back or. to motorcycles later. Okay. Yes, yeah, so we'll have to do a whole episode on, on motorcycles. Laura, I could see you riding a bike, Laura. Um, Up on a motorcycle? Uh, middle finger to you, sir. No, thank you. No? Really? No. I've been on one for like two seconds and I was like, no, I'm good. It's cool. I'm a little <laughs> bit risk averse sometimes. I think I've improved. With You're like my eldest. I mean, I am the eldest of two eldest who married an eldest. You see? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh my goodness. Yes. I know. Okay. Um, no control. Anyway, Cheryl, what's what? Yeah. What about you? No control, but brings you joy. Um, so, you know, I work at Vanderbilt Divinity School and the awesome thing that I really, really like about working with Divinity School students is like, we're there, we try to create a particular atmosphere for them, but they bring everything that they are and then they get all of these experiences and then they go become who they're supposed to be out there. And I actually really love that. Just watching like, how they grow and stretch and do all these things. So everyone's about to graduate. The three students who worked for me are about to graduate. 
And so one of them just did her um, showcase to get her certificate in religion, the arts and contemporary culture. And so she wrote these songs and performed these songs for us, which was amazing. And then one of them also graduating is super artistic. And so they had their spring gala and they did a lot of the decorations and they were amazing. Uh, and then I, I was out this morning watching the third run, the Music City Marathon. And it was just great. It was really cool. Marathon. That is. I know. It was have, have weird today too. No, why? Mm-hmm. I, 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 is John I asked because I, it's, I should. <laughs> yeah, John. No. Okay. None of, none of no. us. Okay. No, I have no, so no, much I'm respect. Very much, I'm very much an indoor kitty. Even people. I love it. I mean, I'm an indoor cat. Okay. Uh, John, what about you? Something you have no control over, but brings you joy. Yeah, that's, that's definitely my, my back garden, my back. So at the very, very beginning of the pandemic, we bought a house. And so we had a totally normal walkthrough or a totally normal open house. And then a virtual closing, like we bought in like March of 2020. So like it was right. And we, the people we bought from, they were both landscape architects and so the garden that they have in the back is super intense and so the we don't like i literally i don't i you know i grew up in chicago my wife grew up in new york city we don't have neither of us have any gardening (laughs) skills whatsoever and so we'll just be watching over the course of the season when suddenly this plant that looks totally normal will like shoot up a six foot tall flower of of like these orange lilies with black spots and then it's just all over the place just from you know starting in march and running all the way through december something will be blossoming and blooming and creating flowers it's and i don't know what any of it is and so it's amazing we've been trying our best to take care of this poor garden that used to have professionals looking after it and now just has our 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 well-meaning bumbling but it's it's it gives us so much joy, and I have no idea what it is doing, but I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. Little little shop of horrors, isn't it? Is that the musical? The plants, yeah. Surprise. Just watch out for those. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not a garden. I'm not a garden person either. Uh, it's like I like the idea of a garden. Like I like the idea of chickens. I like the idea of a beehive. I like the idea of a lot of these. It's never going to happen, though. It's a lot of work. I like the idea of, you know, not being tired all the time too, but you know, there you go. Uh, all right. So let's talk about John. So why are you on this? Sh- why are you on this podcast today? Uh, what happened? Something happened at your congregation. Laura, did you know about this going in? I mean, did you heard about the uh, fa- fasting for fasting? Whiteness? I saw something on the internet. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so John, tell us, give it, give us the thing. Yeah. We became the main character of sort of right wing Twitter for a, for a week or so, which was not, not great. The uh, our church has um, a lot of programming that we do regular programming. You know, we have a Lenten series. You know, we have a Lenten series every year, an Advent series on angels, and another one on grief. And we make you know we do our best to publicize these things. And if we're very lucky, then our own members are aware of our programming. <laughs> and oh, the, uh, yeah, it's very true. You know, yeah, church, church, yeah. And um, and this year we did for our Lenten programming a something that we called fasting from whiteness, and it was a whole church program that actually started with our Sunday school that we we built really all of our Lenten programming around anti-racism themes, and we 
we tagged this under the under the header of fasting from whiteness because it's Lent. And what kind of got picked up in the media was the fact that we were not using any music composed by white people during our Lent. And instead we're choosing music drawn from from the African American spirituals tradition, from the, the from the South African freedom songs, from any yeah, so else, much. right? Like so so, cool. so much, right? Like anything else, everything else of which there is an enormous wealth of resources in sacred music. It's just, so that's what got picked up in the national media and reported, even in international media. It made the Daily Mail in the UK that, and we were sort of held up for for pillory by by those media sources who were calling this uh, you know reverse racism whatever that means and <laughs> a and wokeness to run amok and other kinds of things like that and so we had uh, this was even covered on uh, Fox and Friends where they oh yeah I got an email from them invite sort of I thought you know they I knew they were going to cover this and I thought oh they're going to ask me to be on but they didn't. They had some other pastor from Chicago on, and I was like, "Oh no! Come on, like you don't <laughs> want to drag." You're like right there. You could drag me, right? Like the yeah, they didn't invite. They invited me to send in a statement, which I did. Was the other pastor supportive or? Uh no, okay. <laughs> they, were, they were not supportive. <laughs> um, that pastor does amazing work. Uh, his name is is Pastor uh, Brooks on the south side of Chicago. His his not for profit is called Project Hood. I really encourage anybody to 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 give to that. It's an amazing organization doing great work. Um, so the you know I, I have a lot of respect for for his for his ministry and the work that he does. Uh, he was not supportive of of our actions. No, but we had yeah. So we were receiving at one point five voicemails per minute wow. on the church's voicemail line. And probably right wingers have a lot of time. I guess, yeah, they people had a lot of time to leave messages. A lot of them got clipped off by the five minute limit of our, <laughs> um, you know, our, our voicemail service. You know, so the uh, so that that's what that's kind of what what happened is that we became uh, nationally and even internationally covered for our church programming, which was um, I was surprised. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, tell <laughs> yeah. us a little bit. Of, tell us a little bit about the congregation you're serving. If I have it right, like if you know, I read a bunch of things. Like so, but your staff is all white. It's a it's a predominantly white congregation. I mean, what is that true? Yeah. So it's yeah. Yeah, we're a predominantly white congregation in a town that's the history of Oak Park is really interesting, and it has to do with the reality of the city of Chicago. And I'm from here. I love the city of Chicago. This is the place that has formed me into who I am. And also Chicago is a tremendously segregated city. And during the 19, during the, the middle part of the last century, during white flight and redlining and resegregation and all of that, the communities right around where Oak Park is were, were all being swept up in that wave and becoming and becoming totally segregated places. And Oak Park decided, and Oak Park worked, a number of people in Oak Park worked hard to make Oak Park a diverse place. They did this in a number of interesting ways. They passed an equal housing ordinance. They did a number of things which could charitably be called um, sort of like illegal conspiracies to for good. They were mm -hmm. like having, they were trying to like have, uh, they were having realtors 
sort of collude with one another into like where to show this sort of family a place, where to show that sort of a family a place in order to ensure that the town was racially diverse right. and that this was true in all parts of it. And so this happened significantly because of organizing that was done by members of this church. And so they were the meetings that the meetings that led to a lot of that began in our church. Those later became full-fledged not-for-profits doing their own thing. And so this is a church that has some racial diversity. We're like a lot of Protestant congregations. Sure. We have some racial diversity, but we are not reflective of the diversity of this town. And we are a place that has for six decades or more worked worked on worked on issues of, of race in this country, first in what we would have called diversity efforts and then equity efforts and then anti-racism efforts. And we've that work must always be taken up anew, always right. in this now, country. Laura, Laura, you lived in Chicago, right? Yeah, it's so funny because I um, majored in sociology, uh, sociology of education, so stratification by race, gender, and class. And in all of my sociology classes, like the urban sociology class, sociology of race, Chicago was always the case study. And I thought like, oh, okay, I mean, whatever. There are a lot of places you could study. So there's a lot of places that have uh, segregation. But then when I moved there, I went to a seminary there in the South Side in Hyde Park in McCormick and then lived there for several years. I was like, oh, it's a literal line. Right. And it's a street. And then you cross it. And where I come from, it was not quite like that. I mean, I also lived right next to an Indian reservation. So there are some other things going on there. But yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And, but I have friends who served this congregation and have always known Oak Park to be like a kind of bridge city. It's like a very different suburb than you would think of. Like you, when you think of the suburbs, you think like North Shore. Yikes. But Oak Park is a totally different animal. Yeah, it's especially so for the members of my church, especially the the older members, the older generation, there's they're the people who I think of as kind of the ideological Oak Parkers, like mm. the ones who are here because they want to live in a place that is racially diverse in a city that is deeply committed to segregation. And that um, those are the those are the folks who were the most supportive of all of this, of all of mm. this stuff and of this work in, in Lent and who have been pushing me to pushing me all along to be to be more bold in our in our anti-racism work. And so it's, you know, it's a little bit upside down where you'd think like, oh, it would be like the the young, like hipper people who are like very strong on anti-racism and the older folks who are like grumpy about it. And it's like, nope. No. The, you know, the older folks are the ones who are like yelling for, you know, to charge, you know, and uh, and a lot of it's just that's kind of what Oak Park is like. It's just an it's an it's an odd sort of a place. Right. That's, that's awesome. Well, Hyde Park is the one, if I'm going to get this wrong, because I'm not from Chicago. I have no connection to Chicago. Uh, was it Hyde Park, though, was the one was like black? His mom didn't live there. My mom did not live there. <laughs> that's true. It's not 90 miles within. Uh, uh, is that is is, oh, is Hyde Park the one where it was like, I heard the black and white unite against the poor and was kind of the no public transportation to Hyde Park. Like there was like this to that area, it, uh, Hyde Park, like you didn't have any way to to diversify economically and all of that because I I had in my head that it was Hyde Park and not Oak Park so now I've been educated so there you go sure well Hyde Park is an interesting place it's in a lot of, in a lot of ways and and Laura you you lived there too so I'd love to hear your experience of it I grew up there 
Ah. So the I grew up there because my dad taught at, until he retired at the UCC seminary in Hyde Park. And so the, you know, I, I, I grew up there and it's a, in a lot of ways, it is also very diverse, but the diversity is, is, is interesting because the University of Chicago is upside down. There's 3,000 undergrads and like 12,000 graduate students. And oh, so right. the, and the undergraduate students, many, many, many of them are international. And so there's a ton of really interesting, you know, like I grew up going to public school. Like I play, I learned soccer from the Brazilian kids and the Argentinian kids and the Israeli kids. Yeah. The elementary school there is awesome. The yeah. I love the, I love yeah. Ray, Ray school. I love it. Home of the warriors. So the, um, it was a great, you know, I, it was great in a lot of ways. And also there is a very strong sort of like fortress mentality about against all of the neighboring communities mm. against Kenwood, against Woodlawn, against Englewood. It's, you know, it's, it's very, very much like there, it's a fortress mentality in a lot of ways. So there's a, a big downside to that as well. Yeah. Was that, is that true? What was your experience? No, I think that's, I think that's right. Uh, next time John and I are going to do a podcast. Right. On- and the university of Chicago, just like, Right. Yeah. We're going to do a what podcast do on, Chica- on Chicago and motorcycles. That'll be our next, uh, uh, next podcast edition. There we go. Um, so, so, uh, we always have to talk about me a little bit, uh, because it's, it's my podcast, but the reason I found out about this, John, is because I woke up one morning and my, uh, you know, my vanity alerts from Google were blowing up. So I was getting all of these alerts about, Reyes Chow, Reyes Hyphen Chow, Reyes Hyphen Chow, Reyes Hyphen Chow, Reyes. I'm like, okay, this is never good. When there was not an event, I didn't do something. I'm like, what is happening? And that's how I found out. And I was like, what? And and it all picked up from this particular right wing conservative publication that then starts, you know. So, it, um, and you all had sent out a newsletter. Did you tweet about it or something? No. So, John, how did how how did you get me in this mess? <laughs> yeah, what awful. happened, man? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. We got. <laughs> I felt like this is. If I'm I'm a Star Trek guy, and so like I feel like in this what? thing, like I'm like uh, I'm like one of the red shirts on an away mission, <laughs> and it's like I am a part of the main plot, and it's like I just want to get off of the away mission, you know? And it's like, I feel yeah. like I feel like without, we got without being shot. <laughs> Exactly. You know, like I don't, yeah. So like, I don't want to walk into the damping field and never come out. So the, uh, it's, you know, we got, we, I feel bad. We got you all sucked into this away mission too, where the, so we just had normal, we were having normal church in Lent, like really wonderful, awesome church and highlighting all kinds of amazing people and reading great excerpts and prayers from all over the place and, and putting notes in the back of our bulletin about, you know, like, Oh, this is Stephen Cuthbert Malefe. Who's awesome for these reasons. And, and all that. And one Sunday, one of our pastors was, uh, you know, was, was leading a section of the liturgy and said, I want to read you an awesome piece by pastor Bruce Reyes Chow. And then, and, and then read it. And it was about, uh, it was about the way that, privileged communities like ours need to, uh, you know, need to, need to take a little bit of a step back in any, from any sort of judgment about, about, pro- about public protests by communities of color and of just not, you know, so that was, I'm very much summarizing that, but it, this got picked up by the right-wing media as, you know, uh, you know, as if, and, and again, well, like the, the basic and so story, Laura, was that I, I now support, 
I now support violent protests. That was what that was baseline is how they read it was. Uh, uh, they, right. I got tagged as a minority writer. Sometimes it was minority woke writer, which was even better. Uh, I did get called a libtard at one time, which is even is my favorite. Sure. Yeah. I'm like, that's yeah. so not creative. Yes. Um, so, but I that, yeah, I support, you know, it I, is I, this third grade. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I, I chide people and support violent protest in the world and da, da, da. In any case, it, you know, I, uh, I, I knew you all were going to be like, Oh, I'm so sorry. John sent me a note and I was like, I, it's totally fine. I've had much worse, believe me, but it, it reminded me how much I kind of miss being in the middle of the fray just a tad bit. Um, but I did receive some colorful notes and yeah, all that kind of stuff, which, uh, so not, no worries at all, John, but let's talk a little bit about how has, how, like, why did you do it? I mean, what benefits have, like if somebody now other congregations may be going, Oh, well now we're never going to do something like that. Why should they like, what have you seen in this experience, like, no, 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 this was a good decision. It got picked up and mutilated by other someone else. But wh- like, why should other congregations think about doing something like this? Yeah, I think one of the one of the pieces that there's a lot of pieces of nuance in all of this that got lost. But one of them was what the Christian practice of fasting is all about, and mm-hmm. it got sort of like fasting was then equated with like cancel culture or like banning or something mm-hmm. like that. And what I've said a number of times is that the reason why you fast from something is because it does have a hook into you. It does have, it does take up space inside of your heart. It does take up space. And to fast from that leaves an openness and it leaves an openness for the spirit to enter. It leaves an openness for God to enter. It leaves an openness for other voices to enter. And that for a predominantly white church in a where where whiteness is the dominant culture of this society that that takes up a lot of space if you just leave it on its own to just run it and do its own thing whiteness will take up all the room in the world and to fast from that for a time to put the bach and the mozart and the messian and all of that to the side it allowed us to have that space be opened up for other amazing voices to fill that space in our spirits, in our spiritual lives. And so that's one basic reason is simply that there is such amazing, amazing, amazing sacred music in the world that if, that if people just open up enough space for it to allow that to be the center, then I promise, I promise that your congregation will be richly blessed by that. The The other reason is that it's important for white, predominantly white churches like ours. Some people said, well, like this church is doing this, but look, like their pastors are white. You know, like what's this white guy doing talking about this? And the, as if this was somehow hypocritical. In reality, to me, white congregations and predominantly white congregations like ours are the ones that have to be doing that work. We're the ones who are taking up all the room. We're the ones who will all, will always get a hearing for our point of view. And that in order to create space for other voices, it has to be the dominant voices that choose to step aside. And just a little tiny poke of that 
resulted in this giant wave <laughs> of anger directed against us over something that's like really like really like this is like we this is like a, a banner it's like three feet by six feet it's not even a big banner it's like we had it done by alpha graphics right it cost us like 70 bucks for the shop that does our easter bulletins you know like you're not like you know we're not like the titans of industry out here so it's like a this tiny little poke was enough to because we're poking a, a just an open wound in this country of of racism and white supremacy and white centeredness and so it's it's important but it will be it's it will be both good for your congregation you who are listening who might be thinking about this it will be good for your congregation and it is faithfulness to the gospel it is faithfulness to the gospel which was proclaimed by a dark-skinned man from the poor side of town whose followers were poor laborers living under the boot of empire. And if you want to be faithful to Jesus, who we meet in the Gospels, if we want to be, proclaim the gospel, then we need to extricate white-centeredness from our faith. Amen. There you go. Um, yeah, there it is. Preach. Um, one of the things I've often thought that actually... Um, it's good for people of color to be equipped to talk about white supremacy because so much of what we do living in this country is like, we too are functioning in it. But I've often thought that like white people are often the least equipped to talk about white supremacy and to understand their own racial identity when they actually have a much greater responsibility and obligation to do something about it. So I'm wondering if you would have any uh, words of advice for folks um, just in terms of like how to get that practice, how to get that, uh, to get good at making mistakes and being vulnerable and being wrong in this journey towards understanding white supremacy and your place in it. Yeah, the, the main thing is to understand that your choices as a white person in this in America are either to have honest conversations about race and racism that are very uncomfortable in which you get it wrong. That's one choice. And your other choice is silence. And I will not choose silence on this. This is a life and death issue for our, for our kin in Christ, for our kin who are not Christians, for our neighbors who are, who we are commanded to love as ourselves. And so it's just about deciding that, that price, those table stakes of being uncomfortable and getting it wrong and being humble, that that's something that you're going to pay and do it and to, to begin at it. And it's other than to, that's really my only advice is just that um, accept and understand that it is going to be uncomfortable. It is. There's not some perfect Everybody can have a conversation about race that is moves things forward and everybody feels great. It's like, it's like a unicorn, you know, it's like, sure. It'd be awesome if unicorns existed. Right. Like, but they don't. What? They don't. <laughs> oh, sorry Bruce. You. <laughs> uh, did you have it? Did you have anybody in your community? Like I, I'm serving a church right now where I don't have anybody where I'm thinking in my head, Oh no, so-and-so is my conservative family who I got to think, I, I don't have that person in the church I'm serving, which is amazing and pushes me to really understand what I'm preaching. Did you have anybody in your community that was like, we shouldn't be doing this even at the outset, even before it was discovered, did anybody like this, 
give you that kind of this is anti-racism or reverse racism or you know i mean what there was so i've i've had some of that some of that kind of pushback since the coverage kind of came out of people saying oh this is too inflammatory this is provoke you know this is provocation not provocative and uh, since the coverage but before the coverage what the conversations that I had were, were were with you know I had an amazing conversation with with a a member who I deeply respect and and love who is who does who does this who does this kind of does this kind of work for a, a, a well known um, national organization and and who does anti racism work he's a, a a person of color an Egyptian uh, an Egypt a Coptic Christian um, great guy and who was saying let's talk about models for conversation on anti-racism and models for talking about beloved community and raising up, you know, different, different writers who have different takes about it. And we were, you know, we had a great conversation and, uh, you know, and came away with the overall programming strengthened for what we Mm. were going to do. So the, so it's, I really, really treasured that conversation, that lunch in particular, um, the, you know, I didn't, I've not cleared it with this person to like throw his name out there. So I'm going to yeah. leave him, I'm going to leave him <laughs> nameless, but to the Holy spirit before whom I give thanks and praise. Um, so, the, so that was really the, the initial conversations we had as well as people who helped us to get sharp on some of this of saying like our colleagues over at the United parish of Brookline and Brookline mass who raised the question of, it's like, okay, so you want to sing a bunch of spirituals. Great. Right. That's good music that you will love. And also your CCLI license doesn't cover any of that stuff because it's mostly in the public domain. So this means uh-huh. that you're not fairly compensating artists for their work. Mm-hmm. And that brings you over in over perhaps all the way into the realm of appropriation. If you're not wow. compensating people for, and enriching your own life without you know fairly compensating or recognizing the work of the artists, then perhaps that's illegitimate, which is, which mm. is understandable. So the, mm. I, I, that's a, that's a, I was very, that was a major concern that I had going into mm. our use of this program and this idea. And again, the United Parish of Brookline, this is, they were the first church that I know of that did this, where they decided to pay royalties for those, for their use of that music in the form of financial support of a local not-for-profit local to them that, supported the advancement and continuation of that musical tradition of Mm. training young people. And so we did the same thing. We found a local not-for-profit that works that's on the South side. It's a music training program is, you know, does amazing work uh, with, uh, you know, with, with the youth and people who are wanting to become professional musicians. And so the, that's our way of trying to do some reparative work paying royalties for songs that are that are amazing and which aren't covered under copyright because mm-hmm. of the history of of racism as it relates to the copyright industry and so that was we had really a lot of rich and wonderful conversations before the media storm got us and then it all got kind of boiled down to to sort of some unfortunate talking points yeah. You hate white people and Bruce likes violent protests. That's what it got boiled down to at the end of the day. That's correct. Yes. Awesome. Well, uh, this has been, this has been been great. Thank you for sharing a little bit about the story. And I mean, you know, um, 
I, I'm glad, you know, it feels like you all were really thoughtful about it. I, I was, as I was looked at, I'm like, like, I don't let the congregation I pastors, and I would say let is the operative word, like every Sunday that it feels appropriate, they want to sing, you know, lift every voice. I'm like, we're not singing that. Like, it just, you know, I think, so to be able to do it in a way that, you know, you can really bring meaning and understanding and the breadth and depth of all the things. So it sounds like you've done a lot of that work. So I'm grateful. And in fact, John, this, you are the first white guest we've had on the show. Uh, so uh, I know we're, make, this we're making is our space. affirmative action program. <laughs> cool. <laughs> As we always say, do well with that affirmative right. action, don't right? Yeah. You had to bring yeah, it don't mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> our token white guest. Uh, but yeah, thanks. Oh, <laughs> we're, we're trying to make the news here. Um, so let's, let's move on. We're, we, you know, these things always go pretty quickly. We're just going to jump over to what are you listening to? What are you watching? And, um, you know, uh, what are you reading? Is there anything going on? We jumped our last, so John, our last episode that we did was actually about the Oscars before the Oscars happened. So we didn't, I, we, I so tempted to do a post Oscar show, but, um, I don't know if you are watching that in any case. But anyway, what are you reading, watching, listening to, uh, random things? Laura, you're on. What's going on these days in your brain, your eyes, your ears? We went to a movie theater. Yeah, we went to a movie theater for the first time in a long time and masked. And we saw everything everywhere all at oh, once. And as good as everybody says. I laughed. I wept. It was beautiful. And I need to see it a couple more times, I think, before it really like sinks in. And yes, yeah, like, I freaking love it. your taxes or something, right? Somebody was telling, right? Isn't there like a big thing about your taxes? It's, the whole thing is about the taxes. And Jamie Lee Curtis plays the IRS agent. Um, but it's about being, you know, a Chinese American immigrant who hasn't really made it. Yeah. And, it and it's, a, it's a like, it's multiverse, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she has all of these skills in all these other universes, right? And they start to meet. I can't wait. Oh, I mean, so I will. Okay, I, I will say, I respect Michelle Yeoh as as a as a actress and all the all the kind. Of, super crushing, though. Oh my goodness, she is just stunning. Just she's amazing. She is amazing and all does no wrong. Yeah. My favorite is in Crazy Rich Asians, where apparently she says. Uh, you are not enough to the actress. And there's this line. And apparently the actress was like, Michelle just told me I'm not enough. And like, actually, in the, I know, in she the, like, <laughs> it like broke her character a little bit. Because <laughs> seriously, oh even God. if we're acting and she tells me I'm not enough, I'm going to, I'm maybe I'm not like maybe that. It could, yeah. Anyway. All right. Oh, yeah. Shoot. I can't wait to see it. I, I just heard that yeah. my mom saw it. My mom, I talked about my mom. What's up? My mom saw it, and it is one of those that has to see over and over again. So, yeah. yeah. Um, you listen to any podcasts, Laura, these days? Usually, I'm listening to many podcasts. I really like Criminal. I really like Love It or Leave It. Um, and then I also listen to, like, all the Asians on Star Trek because I love Star Trek. <laughs> so, just a bunch of different ones. Yeah. Awesome. John, what are you listening to, reading, or watching these days? Yeah, so there's a couple of, of albums I'm listening to a ton right now. One of them is by a band uh, called Future Islands, 
And I love, I love, love, love their, their sound. And there's this song on their new album called The Painter, which is a, it's a, it's a rock song that is about learning to love yourself, which is, and it's great. It's a, it's super good. I love Future Islands. Um, also listening to the new album by Mitski, which is making me listen to all of the older albums by Mitski as well. And so I love the, you know, I think that she's got, the most interesting song structure out of anybody who's recording music these days. I mean, like her, the opening, uh, you know, the song Geyser is an unbelievable song that has a completely amazing structure for it's not, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. It is brilliant what what she does as a songwriter and in the structure. She's just amazing. So those are some of the albums I'm I'm listening to. And uh, I also watch a lot of YouTube reviews of motorcycles coming out. And I also even watch YouTube reviews of like 2004 gold wings, that kind of thing being like, what was, what was interesting about the 2004 iteration of the Honda gold? Wow. So I watch a lot of motorcycle content, which I started doing during the pandemic of just reading reading that stuff, learning as much of it as I could because it's so low stress. Wow. Well, Sondor. Sondor is my motorcycle that I'm getting, is the uh, electric nice. one I'm, I'm getting on. So there you go. Um, well, let's see. So you all are far more uh, fancy than I am. What am I listening to? I'm listening it's to like a new podcast. Recent. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> I, I'm listening to this new podcast called Tenfold More Wicked. It's a, I, I stopped listening to a true crime podcast because it started to, I just couldn't, but tenfold, tenfold more wicked only deals in true crime. That's like everybody of, of, um, import is dead. So like it's, there are all cases that are a hundred years old or so the, the, the person's like, I'm not dredging up, you know, dealing, have to deal with people's, you know, triggering people and bringing back trauma and all that. So I, I feel a little bit better and that's, I've been listening to that podcast. Um, quite a bit. And then um, I, I listened to this uh, Filipino playlist because the Filipinos kicked butt at the Grammys this year. So there are like six Filipinos that were, that won Grammys this year. So uh, that's been a source of pride in our family, Saweetie and uh, you know, and Livu Rodrigo and Silk Sonic. And I mean, it's all this fuck. So um, that's been on, on my playlist. So yeah, I've been listening to a lot of Olivia Rodrigo these days, which is a little odd because i have had my driver's license for a long time, but you know, that's okay. It's, it's good. Music good, is good, music, you know, good, good earworms. Like it's like, are you listening to Olivia? I'm like, yes, leave me alone. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> Don't judge I'm me. Very I will. I, I, I did have to, I did have to tell them that love train is a remake. And my kids are like, what? It wasn't original. I'm like, Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> what have I done? What have I done? Anyway, all right. Uh, any other things popping into your head these days that you want to rant about real quick? Anything? Well, I do have to say that I've been super obsessed with this new song out by Residente, who he used to be part of Calle Trece. Um, but uh, the song is This Is Not America. And it's actually a little bit a song in conversation with Childish Gambino's This Is America. But because he takes the perspective from Latin America... Um, and talking about how America is like so much bigger than the U.S., but then also looking at um, 
all of the state-sponsored violence and then resistance of the people. It is so amazing. So you have to watch the music video. I'm going to email you all an article to like unpack it because there's just a lot going on. Oh, I learned more about Latin American history. I know. I'm I sorry. It's an, like, I have to read so... an article to unpack one song. <laughs> yes. Yes. Unless you're really up on your Latin American political history. No, I'm just putting it out sure. there. Okay. Yeah. But it's like so powerful anyway. And I just always love, because I do really like Childish Cambino. I really like that song because, right. you know, in the vein of, talking about white supremacy, yep. but then to have this kind of response is like so good. It's so good. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. And that's so why I just play that over and over again when I ride the bus home from work. Well, those of you that are listening, we'll make sure that one gets put in the show notes. So we'll, we'll make sure that, that that is in there. Anything else, John, what's on your radar these days? Any other things you need to rant about a little bit? Any that, things that are happening? In addition, in addition to the regular old gospel, I always preach the good news of a radio station called The Current in Minneapolis. It's an NPR radio station that plays um, contemporary music, right? They play music that is coming out, you know, right now. It is a, it has almost all of the amazing music that I've found in the past 10 years has been from listening to that radio station. So you can find it, you know, on all the ways that you can find it, uh, you know, so 89 is 89.3 in Minneapolis, but yeah, The Current, they, it's, it has, such 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 great music i love it there you go i'm gonna say what's the one last thing i'll leave you with i'm watching a terrible television show called la's finest it's terrible oh god it sounds yeah, bad. It's terrible it is let it's, me guess uh, just, spoiler alert are they not the finest i don't know i don't know it's jessica alba and um oh my gosh what's the other actress but it's they're it's such a it's not good, but I just can't keep watching it. I, I don't know what that means about my life right now, where I just need to have it filled with something that's just, it's not quite copaganda either. Like it's, just, I don't even know. I don't even know. There you go. That is not a recommendation at all. That's just like stuff going on in Bruce's head. Everybody needs to watch a little bit of trash, you know? It's true. It really is true. Anyway, all right. John, thank you for being on. Laura, always great to have you co-hosting here. Uh, folks, remember, uh, those of you who are listening, to go ahead and sponsor this on Patreon. Subscribe, write, review, and all the places you listen to your podcast. And we will be back um, soon with another episode of BRC and Friends. BRC and Friends was produced, written, and recorded by Bruce Reyes Chow with zero help from his dogs, Vespa or Bernie. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to BRC and Friends wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please follow, like, tag, and share on all the platforms via BRC and Friends or B. Reyes Chow. Thanks for listening to BRC and Friends. <laughs>